Hello and welcome back to the Call of Duty season of Something Rotten. Uh, my name is Jacob Geller. I'm here with Blake Hester. Hello. Uh, Blake, we got a bunch of questions. We got so many. Uh, to everyone who wrote in, questions, comments, game and film recommendations, thank you so much. Uh, probably worth saying, we certainly cannot read all of them. Unfortunately, had to pass on all of them. But I personally have read every single on one. All of them? I literally have. I did it this morning. I went through the entire inbox. And thank you very much. It took me quite a while to do it. I have a question for you. What's um, up? For the the main feed, this mm-hmm. is going to be releasing uh, approximately five days after the release of Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, so do you think anyone will be listening to this podcast? Yeah. Okay. Look. Okay. Here's the thing. Breath of the Wild, easily one of the greatest games ever made. Irrefutable. Tears of the Kingdom. Mm-hmm we can assume will be very good. But let's not act like 95% of those games aren't the greatest podcast game ever made. <laughs> I, that is true. I didn't... I I almost can't... When, when Breath of the Wild came out, I've only played that game once because I played it in, like... It, in my memory, it is a week where I literally yeah. did not do anything else. Yeah. You know, it's like I was, I think, uh, you know working at a restaurant or something at that time but it's like when i think about it it's like there were just like 10 days where i basically did nothing but play breath of the wild and that's like very special to me and i don't remember listening to podcasts during it but i'm sure i did i definitely did here's the thing you gotta know about me jacob uh i think this month i'm gonna be on planes for roughly 30 hours Mm -hmm. because i'm going to and from north carolina which, you know, will add up Ooh. to like five hours or something on a plane. And then I'm going to Japan and back. So who knows how long I'll have to be in the goddamn sky for that one. Equally foreign places, North Carolina <laughs> and Japan. Culture shock both times. That's not true. I'm from the South. I am fully equipped for North Carolina. Um, <laughs> I'll be playing some fucking Zelda is what you got to know about me. I'm also afraid of flying, so this will help. God, imagine that... I, I'm just picturing, I know uh, all sorts of people with all sorts of lives fly to and from Japan, but I'm picturing an, like an airplane where just every seat in every row is a person with a Switch playing Tears of the Kingdom. I have to imagine I will not be the only one on any of those planes playing Tears of the Kingdom. Do you remember when um, when the Switch came out and Breath of the Wild came out? I actually played, I played Breath of the Wild on a Wii U because I did not get a Switch until the much later, but Switches were so hard to get that at one point there was like a more than 100% attachment rate that there had yeah. been like more copies of Breath of the Wild sold than there were Switch consoles sold. I uh I remember so I this is maybe not a super compelling story but for lack of a better one I remember the day I got my Switch I was a full-time freelancer at the time which I guess doesn't narrow it down. I spent a lot of my adult life as a freelancer. But uh, so I didn't have a ton of money. But I remember like the Switch was so hard to get. I would just randomly check my local GameStop. And the one time they had it, it was like, I cannot afford the $360 it's going to cost me plus Zelda. But I do remember it was like one time in my life I dropped everything and just went and did an impulse purchase. And it felt so good coming home with it. I was like, who gives a fuck about my money? It's gone and i have zelda now that kind of demand 
is is so insidious in the way that it will make you make bad decisions yeah where i mean that happened that happened like when i got a ps5 you know which i got at launch and it was like i wasn't planning to and then i had like actually our our friend surreal uh messaged me and was like hey i did manage to like reserve two in two different places so yeah. do you want to like do you want me to shift one and i was like well, they're so hard to get. I guess I just have to, even though, like, I did not need to spend $500 to play Demon Souls for the seventh time, you know? But I did. The PS5 was the only time in my life this, like, the complete opposite of the Switch, where, like, it came out during COVID, and, like, as an immunocompromised person, uh, I just, like, lived with my parents during COVID, uh, and... So I didn't. I wasn't paying rent. God bless my parents on that one. It was the first and only time in my life I had like more money than I knew what to do with, because I had a full time job and like I don't have the best salary. But if you're not spending it, it just accrues. Right. And yeah. I remember, that's how money works. I remember Jeff Cork. Similar thing. He had pre ordered an extra one, and he was like, "Do you want it? You just send me the money." And it was the, probably the last time in my life I'll ever drop like six hundred dollars and not think twice about it. Like, not even be like, hey, "It's not gonna hurt me." Like, fine, yeah. And it yeah. felt so cool. Now, Jacob, if I spent six hundred dollars, someone might come kill me. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna come break your kneecaps. Yeah, Reagan would murder me. It was a good time. I Jeez, missed that era. A hard bargain. All right, read a question. Sure thing. So this one comes from Neuroflare, who says Blake is right. Thank you, Neuroflare. This, of course, is in... Uh, oh, you didn't write this one in the doc. You just you just want to gloat. This is, of course, in relation to uh, Bina Jacob's discussion over the pronunciation of Rayman. <laughs> I think that's the most feedback we've ever got on this podcast. <laughs> uh, okay, so this comes from Seth. Hi, I just listened to your second episode discussing Call of Duty World of War, and I had some thoughts. You discussed why the Nazis were allowed a degree of humanization where the Japanese were not. And I think at least part of the answer lies in something you touched on earlier in the episode. The Russians are viewed slash treated as a lesser evil to the Nazis. So while you're largely meant to view their actions as vindicated, they are also allowed to be shown committing war crimes because in Treyarch's eyes, they are still evil. The same can't be done for the Americans because they don't want you questioning the justness of the U.S. military's actions, including dropping the A-bomb. It's essentially propaganda. Quote, when we do it, there's a good reason. When they do it, it's savagery. Anyway, I'm loving this series, and the podcast as a new listener, and the line, COD4 should be subtitled Validating Bush is a banger. Thank you, Seth. Um, I don't disagree with this. I do think, as we talked about a bit, like, I do think there's a very weak statement in the A-bomb stuff at the very end of this game that I think mm -hmm. tries to point a finger at America. I just think it's like the limpest finger possible. Yeah. I, I mean, what, what this has made me curious about is there are, there are two recent call of duty world war two games yeah. that I have not played the campaigns of actually does, does Vanguard even have a campaign? I've yeah. like heard about the world war two one. I don't know anything about the Vanguard campaign. Vanguard has a good campaign. Fuck what you heard. But in both of those, you you play you play Americans, right? Or at least uh, for for some of the time. I well, no. In Vanguard, you play as Americans, but also you might play as a Soviet. No, that can't be right. Isn't there? There's one that has like a French. No, no, no. You do level, play as a Soviet. Right? Yeah, you play as a Soviet. Uh, it's like a multicultural little crew, but definitely some Americans, but it's not only Americans. Because I guess what I'm what I'm curious about is, you know, we talk about and and 
in a lot of ways, uh, you know, World of War's legacy is because it it is so much more uh, overtly war crimey yeah. than uh, than the other ones. But like, I would be curious in the modern CODs, you know, comparing like what fighting the Germans looks like then uh, versus what it looked like in World at War, especially when you're playing as Americans. Because, like, the the one thing that fascinates me that I know about World War II is, like, there is a, like, walking through concentration camp um, part, uh, which I've actually, I've talked to someone, I, I once, I, a long time ago, I talked to, like, a rabbinic student who was writing about, like, Jews and video games and stuff, and he was, like, I was surprised at kind of how well they did that part. Oh, interesting. like, huh. Okay. Um, in the PS4, not Vanguard, the other World War II get one? The, the just Call of Duty World okay. War II. Um, and, but it's like, you know, that is obviously uh, the most war crimey uh, sort of thing. But it's just kind of like, how do they, yeah, how does the perspective on Americans shift when they're the ones fighting the Nazis versus in this, you know, the Russians? And obviously, the original Call of Duties were just about Americans fighting Nazis. Yeah. And so it's yeah, it, it's an interesting conversation. I think I think Seth makes a really good point. I agree. We're interrupting this broadcast to let you know that something rotten is dead. We're doing what? Starting immediately. Something rotten is done, finished, gone. Bon voy freaking Oz, Jacob. This podcast is now a Leo Vader fan cast. Every week, we're covering all the latest, hottest, and juiciest news about the Minneapolis movie maker. And if you've seen him. You best believe there's plenty of hot news to talk about. We're, like, as much as I love him, we're not going to do that. Uh, But if you like Leo so much, have you considered signing up to Nebula? To what now? Nebula. Nebula is this wonderful streaming service run by creators with exclusive videos, podcasts, shows, the whole nine yards. I'm on there. Leo Vader is on there. Blake, you're on there. Is that what these checks are from? My God. Okay, here's the deal. When you sign up to Nebula using our code, nebula.tv slash something rotten, you get immediate access to early and ad-free episodes of this show and exclusive bonus podcasts featuring guests such as Noah Caldwell-Gervais, Gareth Damian Martin, and Chris Bratt. You also get access to Nebula's entire catalog of creators and content, and your money goes directly towards us making this show better. Do you think Leo feels about me the way I feel about him? I think a better question is, does Leo know you exist? I've literally pooped in his bathroom. I would sure hope so. Can I tell you a weird story that just popped into my brain? (laughs) You sure can. So my great uncles, like my grandma's brothers, I guess that doesn't make them great uncles. It doesn't matter. Um, Basically, all her brothers fought in World War II. Mm -hmm. And I think my uncle George saw the most, like, uh, combat or action. But he kind yeah. of famously in the family, I, I don't know which concentration camp it was, but shot the lock off at the end to like open it oh, up. Oh, wow. And supposedly, I don't know how vigorously my family fact checked this, uh, in one of the Ken Burns World War II documentaries, I think, is the footage of him actually doing it. Holy shit. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I've, I've not gone through the process of fact checking it. It's a cool story for our family. I don't want to <laughs> find out if we were wrong or something, but like, it is Hester lore about Uncle George. Uh, my my uh, much less fun uh, family history story is... Um, at the uh, at the U.S. Holocaust Museum, they have like a special place yeah. that's like 
a very well-maintained database that's like, hey, you if you want to like search people, this is like the place to do it. And so I've seen because it's like, hey, the Germans kept a really good documentation of all this shit. So I have seen like my great grandparents names written on the kind of like wow here's who you know came into the camp or we killed today or whatever Jesus. which is uh yeah quite a quite a thing yeah um anyway uh let's go to this next question from jackson uh y'all talked about the racist way in which world at war depicts the imperial japanese army and i wanted to ask you if you think there is a way the vitriolic hatred the americans had toward the ija could be portrayed accurately without doing it in a racist way especially since that hate is absolutely racially motivated i remember learning in a modern history of japan class i took about how in american propaganda during the war against fascist italy and nazi germany was framed to be a fight against Hitler and Mussolini, but the fight in the Pacific was explicitly shown to be against all the Japanese, not just Emperor Hirohito or Tojo. To be clear, I don't mean from a retrospective bird's eye view, I mean from the perspective of American soldiers in the way the game does. Yeah, I uh, I wish we had like uh, someone more maybe uh, well-versed in this. I do wonder if the reason uh, we like, sorry, I, I do wonder if the reason like we show show showed all Japanese as opposed to like Mussolini or Hitler or whatever was like Japan, especially back then was kind of this big mystery, I think to a lot of the world, you know what I'm saying? Like we just didn't know a lot about it. It was kind of a, like a weird isolationist place that it was just easier to paint them as just like this unknowable savage as this game shows like people that are kind of like the enemy rather than like this figurehead. Does that make sense? I, it does. I think the, the history of like, anti-Asian in general American sentiment is pretty extreme and so it's like even if we didn't have a great idea of Japan uh Americans knew their kind of racial caricatures of China and I I think that a lot of a lot of it was probably just playing on the same kind of like east scary foreign bad no for sure tropes i agree with that i'm just saying i just wonder if people in like 1943 didn't know who emperor hirohito was i i think i think that is true but i also think that there is probably a less you know it's like people did have to be told who mussolini was like they could have also been told about the emperor and i think uh so yeah it is you know like i think i think that kind of it's it is a great example of like how racialization works into existing conflicts of like you know none of us none of us are in debate that like uh what japan was doing during the war was terrible yeah in the same way that that you know what germany germany and italy were doing was terrible but the the campaign against the germans and the italians was not like uh painted in terms of white supremacy basically right, and, right. and it was here uh, as for the the beginning of their question, uh, do you have any ideas on this? I mean, my my knee jerk is to say, don't make the player feel the catharsis of mowing down difficult and scary enemies. But then mm-hmm. when I think about it, it's like, how much of this game did feel cathartic? Like, because to me, that's where it feels fucked up. Where it's like we're clearly seeing some racist attitudes towards the Japanese soldiers, but also yeah. like. If it feels good to mow them down, then that feels like not a good way to engage with that. But it's like, I can't remember. Yeah. The game definitely had the catharsis of beating enemies because that's just how video games work. 
But it's mm-hmm. like, I think if you f- find a way to further remove, like, gun feels good sh- to shoot on click forehead, like, that may help give the player some distance from the, like, characters opinions or thoughts or racism yeah i mean i think part of the problem is like you would you would kind of hear the the american soldiers kind of talk about how like oh my gosh you don't understand how like savage uh this this army is and then you would see just exactly what they said yeah come true and so you know i i'm kind of thinking like we did not we did not really see any American propaganda, uh, like, from the time shown during the game. You know, I think it would be interesting to be like, here's what was being told. Yeah, that's a good point. To them, you know, but but then at the same time, it's like, I feel like the the only way to really bring it full circle would have been to, like, then have, like, a conversation with some prisoners of war yeah. or something that would feel like pretty forced. Yeah. I, I I think the game would have a hard time pulling it off. Yeah. And I think just like mechanically call of duty is too engaging at its most baseline or fun, you know, ideally mm-hmm. that like you can never have the separation you need to kind of think about some of the things like that in the games. Yeah. I mean, you know, like games, games that do that kind of thing. Well, are like the Wolfenstein franchise, but that like that game has so much more sitting around and talking to people about ideas than, than call of duty just has time for. It's actually related kind of to, uh, to the next question. Uh, kind of, well, this comes from Morank three who says, I agree with Blake that Jacob's pronunciation of Raven (laughs) sounds bizarre and wrong. However, I was very surprised when playing the PlayStation 1 version of Rayman 2 The Great Escape to hear that the same inflection is used, as Jacob, how you pronounced it, and the very first spoken word of the game. I did fact check this. In this version, they do say Rayman. But the PlayStation 2 remaster features new voice acting without this quirk, so they did correct their mistake. Oh, this is a good time to tell you that uh, I was the VO guy for that original game. So that's why it sounds the same as me. Is I did the I did the voiceover when I was two years old. <laughs> Wonderful. You sounded great. Also, anyway. Uh, so this comes from Mauricio. I was pleased to hear you guys bring up Face Full of Eyes, as he really does do some great work. And I think his channel definitely deserves more attention. In one of his videos, I can't be bothered to check. <laughs> it's all good. He mentions that in... First-person shooter games, in this case Call of Duty, the player's only real interaction with the world is the gun held by the character. My question then is, would the Call of Duty series specifically be better or worse if there were more interactions with the world besides killing dudes? If yes, what would that look like? Or what would you want to see? If no, then is every COD ever just destined to be a glorified shooting gallery? Uh, What could be done to improve these games? Um, I, I will say... You know, you're asking about Call of Duty specifically, but a good alternative here is the Wolfenstein games, right? Like, that do spend time not just running through levels killing dudes. Like, it sounds like that's the kind of game you're describing. I don't think Call of Duty would ever do that because it has to fit into three hours, right? Well, I mean, but here's here's the thing. Like, essentially what they're asking about is press F to pay respects. (laughs) <laughs> you know like that's yeah. that's what the question is because it's like yeah what kind of interactions does call of duty have that are not pulling the trigger of a right. gun and and 
in kind of the more the more like futuristic ones you have these kind of interesting contextual things of like oh you're gonna climb a wall using magnet gloves yeah. or you're gonna you're gonna like jet around in space or something but generally i think that boils down to like one button that will do a contextual action and what's kind of uh, tell me tell me if i'm completely crazy here I think that press F to pay respects is uh, an inherently hilarious thing to say. But also, yeah. it's like, it's not that radically different than video games it's just not. as a whole. It's like, it's like there's whole, all sorts of fucking, it's like the Darkness games were just like press F to sit on the couch with Jenny, and we liked that. Yeah, I, I think in general, games should remove the just one button prompt to do something cinematically in character you know we see that in games so much and sometimes it's done well like cool qtes are great but like what does pressing f in that moment really add obviously it kind of backfired to some degree on them but like just to remove it because it always feels so goofy to be like press this one button to hug a character you know it, mm-hmm. it, i think it sometimes undercuts what could be a good moment with just, like, this awkward feeling like, oh, let me interact with this thing. When it's like, you're not really fucking interacting. Um, yeah. I think the issue with Call of Duty leaning further in that is one of audience, a problem of audience expectations. I don't think the audience necessarily wants stuff like that. I think, too, mm-hmm. and this is something I do appreciate about the Call of Duty series, is you'd be hard-pressed to find many of those campaigns longer than four hours. You kind of just got to get to the point and keep the action going that I think, like, if if you're going to make campaigns that concise and that compact, like, you kind of don't have time to have moments beyond the shooting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it is... I guess one of the interesting things about the COD campaigns, and this is much more true in the modern ones than the World War II ones, is, like... How have they tried to uh, vary pulling a trigger? Because it's like, hey, you know, the AC-130 level, for whatever our feelings are on that level, is like a very different style of gameplay than than being like on the ground with the assault rifle. And, you know, your odd kind of sniper level or like in the modern... In Modern Warfare 2, there's a whole... Like the new Modern Warfare 2, there's a whole like almost hitman-esque stealth level yeah, yeah. Do you remember that one mm-hmm. where you're like you kind of don't have many guns or you have to go to pickups and you have to like not get seen by people and so it's kind of like within this context of killing people can they make it different and something like spec ops the line is still a game where you're pulling the trigger the whole time but does yeah. do different things with it and cod tries that like it does try but it I think it's just kind of too limited by by what its perspective has to be. Um, here's a bonus question from listener Blake Hester. Mm-hmm. Have you played Spec Ops: The Line? Oh yeah. Is it? Yeah, a couple times. I've never played it. Is it okay? This is this is a personality flaw where like I see the era it came out in and the gravitas in which it's talked about, and I'm like, come on, you're not gonna Bioshock Infinite me on this shit. Like, is it is it good? Is it interesting? Or did it I just surprise critics of the time? It is, I mean, it is It is undeniably interesting. Sure. You know, like, it is, it is still kind of, like, 
the low bar that games have, I still think it's one of the more interesting attempts at doing commentary on a on a first-person shooter. I do not think it is the uh, quite the swelling anti-war narrative that it has been turned into. I think at least the game's developers say that it is more about war games sure. than war in general. And there is a lot that is still just doing a first-person shooter. Uh, but, I mean, Third we should cover that game. It is, like, it is, it, you know, the things that it does where it's still, like, your only verb is to pull the trigger are, like, it, it, it it's still doing stuff, okay. you know? Like, it's still, it is worth talking about, for sure. We should definitely do it, because I wouldn't have to write a new theme song for that season. We could just use the Call of Duty one again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, next one. I think this is a comment. Uh, okay, yes. Uh, so this this is from doesn't oh, doesn't have a name, sorry. but don't know who they are. Um, I've had Call of Duty World at War untouched in my Steam library for a few years now. When I heard you guys were going to be covering it on the podcast, I figured now would be as good time as ever to give it a try. Long story short, I hate this game. I <laughs> yeah. feel like the American levels in particular were just overly edgy and unfun to play. That being said. I found the airplane mission really stood out in particular. We did too. Uh, if you like this mission, I want to point you towards a classic level from 2005 that inspired it. In Call of Duty Big Red 1, there's a mission titled Liberators, which essentially has the same premise. But instead of crewing a seaplane on the Pacific front, you are a crew member of a B-24 bomber off the coast of Iran. Uh, you have full control to move around the aircraft to switch between turrets, unlike World at War, which really helps sell how claustrophobic these aircraft were. At one point, you get stuck in the ball turret in the underbelly of the plane, which gave me so much anxiety as a kid. Uh, during the mission, your bomber squad is ambushed by what feels like hundreds of German fighters, and by the end, your plane is basically in pieces. There are bullet holes throughout the fuselage, the engines are smoking, and the bomb bay doors are jammed open, so if you need to run to the back of the plane, there's nothing between you and the ground thousands of feet below. During World War II, these planes only had a 30% survival rate, and this mission does an excellent job at selling that, making you feel like a big cow in a field getting swarmed by horse flies. Yeah, we watched some footage of this before recording. It goes hard. It's cool. It, I mean, I was shocked at how much it looks like the World at War level. Absolutely. Like, it really, really does. Um, here's a question. Was Big Red 1 one of the CODs that was... Yeah, it was It was developed by Treyarch because it wasn't a numbered one. Yeah. So they are actually referencing themselves, even though uh, the first official Call of Duty that Treyarch made was uh, was 3. As... And as we talked about when referencing one of the Faceful of Eyes videos, a trend of Call of Duty games is just to reference old Call of Duty games. I feel like this is coming up. So yeah, that's times. right. By the way, this email is from Mason. I forgot to put the name in. Thanks, so Mason. thank you, Mason. Um, yeah, I think it's it's kind of interesting, the idea of being able to move around the plane freely yeah. because it speaks to how much more linear Call of Duty campaigns sure. became. Like, there's actually... There's been an effort to, I think, make them a little less linear again to kind of open them up in the modern mm -hmm. ones. But this was definitely the era of, like, we are going to guide you down exactly one path yeah. to show you the most exciting stuff. I uh, 
I also like the idea of all the bullet holes going through the plane and everything and seeing the kind of damage more intimately. That's rad. Yeah, I mean, do you you know the the like survival bias picture? That's like the picture of the plane with all the bullet holes. No, survival bias. This is this is oh. like a, a a meme that people talk about because um it's their survivorship bias. Yeah. Um, but essentially, it's it's this picture of. Um, maybe maybe people know what this is, but it's a diagram of a plane from World War II with uh, just filled with bullet holes. And these planes would come back in and they'd mark here where the bullet holes are. So obviously we should put more armored plating on these parts of the plane because this is where it's getting shot. Yeah. And then someone was like, no, because these planes are coming back. Like these are the places that the plane can get shot and still oh, yeah, make it yeah, back yeah, to the yeah. hangar. If the planes are getting shot in the other places, we're not getting to see the wrecks because they're, like, going down in the ocean. Yeah. And so it is that that kind of, like, you know, in in my world, this is brought up a lot with, like, YouTubers giving advice on how to have a successful YouTube channel. Yeah. It's like, you're just saying the things that you did because this is a completely random game. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know what made you successful. Yeah. Ready for the next one? Yeah, let's go. Uh, This comes from Mark. Quick question. I have a request for people like me trying to play along before listening, which, as I learned, Jacob, a lot of people going out and buying these games. Yeah, it's very flattering. Would it be possible to put the character... We should find out a way to get, like, a, a... Resi- uh, royalties or residuals from people buying the games we talk about like on amazon or whatever yeah let's enter stuff. a partnership with activision that seems like a good <laughs> idea bobby kodak bang my line baby i have a request <laughs> for people like me trying to play along before listening would it be possible to put the chapters of the games you'll be talking about in the episode descriptions similar to the mimax deepest dive format just so that we know to aim for what to where to aim for before listening jacob this is your job Yes or no? We can we can totally do that. That that would be easy, and I'm I'm glad you asked. Uh, sometimes we're figuring. It's hard to say the chapters that we're going to be playing in advance because uh, we don't know or are recording these episodes yeah. out of order. But I can totally put them in the episode description. And uh, yeah, I I appreciate you caring enough to want cool. that. All this right, uh, Philip says nope. Sorry, Drake says. One thing I found interesting was the note by Jacob about the Zulu movie and how the uncivilized enemies in media are typically numerous rather than cunning or deadly for any other reason. That said, in video games where the multitude is in video games, while the multitude is dehumanizing for sure, I struggle to find an alternative. Bullet sponges aren't fun and take away from the power fantasy of the player, which many people enjoy. Personally, I liked playing the Modern Warfare 2 remake on Hardcore, where every enemy could body me, but I doubt that would be appealing for everyone, especially for cases like you, Blake, where you kick it down to easy to push through the game quickly. So, if Call of Duty were to improve this one facet going forward, what do you think would help? I mean, one, one idea would to make it be like, um, not, not in the multiplayer sense or like the gameplay loop, but like a game like Tarkov or PUBG, where there's very few enemies, but it's like one bullet just... That's it. Well, that's, you know, I, I would, I used to think about that as a kid of being like, what if there was a a level with only one enemy or what, you know, that, that like, how could you make that exciting? Um, Which is kind of, you know, if it's almost the, we talked about uh, COD 4 being billed as a non-tactical 
a modern shooter where the previous games were like Ghost Recon and yeah. Rainbow Six and stuff. And it's like, if you play Rainbow Six, there do not need to be many enemies yeah. for them to put you down because it is like you get shot once, you're kind of disabled. If you get shot twice, you're done. Um, that being said, uh, that's a very specific rhythm of game yeah. that would probably not be fun for the kind of Call of Duty campaign. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It feels like Call of Duty has always just been like, you're going to go kill 10,000 people per level. And it's like, that's all I've ever known. I do think that there are uh, specific scenes you can point to in these games that yeah. are emphasizing the numbers more. You know, it's like, like in, in World at War, you feel like you're getting overrun by, like, thousands of Japanese soldiers yeah. more so than you feel that with Nazis. In Modern Warfare, you know, when you're when you're in the uh, kind of, like, <laughs> undisclosed uh, Middle Eastern country, you know, like, there are some levels where it feels like enemies are pouring out of every doorway more than others. Um, but I, I generally think... I honestly, I think that the world at war thing where you give people like really involved kind of lingering death animations and whatever does make people feel more individual and less of a uh, faceless horde. Whereas in yeah. modern warfare, it feels like you just click on their heads and they disappear. You know, you don't even see them die. Yeah. Um, your childhood wish, did you feel like that was fulfilled when you played the sniper boss fight in Metal Gear Solid 5? Yeah, I, I was. I mean, it's like Metal Gear Solid has a number of those yeah. because there's also... Do you know the thing about the... Um, there's that famous boss fight in Metal Gear Solid 3 uh, against the old guy. Yeah, the yeah, end, yeah, And you can beat it by, uh, by moving your console clock forward and he'll, like, die of old age. The original idea for that in some of that just, like uncut kojima bullshit was he wanted it to last like a month yeah, yeah like yeah. he he wanted the fight to just go on forever and the play testers were just like we hate this <laughs> um but it was you know it was this idea of like you know there's there is that scene in saving private ryan where there's the one sniper in the clock tower and they're like trying to to fight him of like how do how do you translate the threat of one person into a video game without uh, without kind of removing all agency from the player? Yeah. Um, I think that quiet fight in Metal Gear Solid Five is pretty great. Oh, um, yeah. Especially learning know, and, the, the funny ways to beat it, like dropping... Or you uh, can, like, drop a thing yeah, on her head. Yeah. <laughs> I think, like, my answer to this question would be, and I bet if I got this game, I, w I would hate it, but, like... Something more akin to, like, the combat loops of, like, a Tarkov. Like, make mm -hmm. me fear two dudes. Don't make me feel like Kid Rock, American Badass against 10,000. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Uh, also, yeah. I'm wearing a Save a Private Ryan shirt right now. Coincidentally. Uh, you can't see it, but oh, it wait, is one. Let me see it. You know, you know what uh, film I'm wearing a shirt of right now? If we're doing our American military propaganda shirt. Which, uh, Mission Impossible. <laughs> Top oh Gun, God. baby. Uh, that's what I meant to say. 
I, I guess you can't see it too well, but soon probably. No, it's Ryan, good. it's got it. Blake and I both walking billboards for imperialism. Well, this my this is a boot- that's that's not the case for Saving Private Ryan. I just want to be clear. This is actually a bootleg from uh, my best friend's clothing line from the Void from the Void.co. Go buy you some shit. I uh, did a Saving Private Ryan drop. Anyway, total coincidence. Didn't mean to do that. Uh, next question. Are we ready? Hiya, big fan. Just listened to the first episode of the COD season. Really enjoyed what you had to say about the game and the development and everything like that. But I cannot for the life of me imagine how anyone could pronounce Rayman the way that Jacob does. <laughs> it's Rayman. Not Ray, not like Raymond minus the D. Blake is absolutely correct on this. Thank you so much, Maddie. Appreciate the email. <laughs> Everybody hates Raymond. <laughs> Do you feel like the, this comes from Philip? Do you feel like the meaning of the title Call of Duty changes between the original World War II games and the series Postmodern Warfare? In the context of the original World War II setting, the title Call of Duty reads as a noble sentiment as those games depict the men and women who fought the Nazis and the spread of fascism. What does the phrase Call of Duty mean to a game with a more cynical view of war and modern warfare, especially? Is it satirical, earnest, tone deaf? And is this something you think the developers considered? Um, I think they probably considered the name in the earliest of the series history. I think, uh, brand recognition trumps anything at this point, but I do think it's an interesting thought experiment, but I don't think there's oh, anything I, deeper yeah, beyond I, it. Like, deep, so I love this question because I'm really, like, I'm really fascinated by things where, like, the title of a media property yeah. can change the meaning of a word. So it's like the when someone says inception uh in sure. like today's world what they probably mean is like a thing that has a lot of layers yeah, yeah, yeah. and not like the beginning of an idea or like when people say matrix yeah. you know they're they're saying they're not talking about like a a a a series of cells uh they're you know a fake world and so it is so kind of weird to think about like call of duty as this it's like I haven't thought about the meaning of those three words combined in like years yeah. because it's just like, yeah, Call of Duty, the series. I, I know it means war rather than, you know, you are heeding the Call of Duty or something. Yeah. And to be clear, I wasn't trying to be dismissive of Philip's question. I just don't think it's something no, I don't think developers so. consider. Um, I do think like there's a reading where you could see it as like... Um, so like if, if I like the idea of like Call of Duty reading as a noble sentiment depicting the men and women who fought the Nazis and spread of fascism. And now today it's like, you know, not everyone thinks this way, but I think a, a lot of people our age who grew up during the Iraq war just sees the wars we fought now as like Americans being more of the bad guy. Does that make sense? And yeah. It's, well, like, it's like, it's like, what is the duty being exactly because in world war ii it was super clear and now it's like i don't know what our duty is supposed to be or the call of duty is just being called to serve in a evil machine you know it's like like if if you want to just like make it very cut and dry it's like maybe at one point this was a noble thing and now you are implicit in just like this like global terror we're wreaking upon yeah you know it is like is your duty to justice is it to kind of like protecting the world or whatever the kind of positioned idea of world war ii is or is your duty just to do what your country asks of you and and i think you know it's like kind of kind of like the modern warfare games as a whole if you give it the maximum amount of credit 
it is actually pretty interesting. Um, but I think that is just the work that we are doing and not like the game itself. Yeah. Um, I like this question a lot though. Uh, I'll say my duty was a little runny. I had too much coffee this morning. <laughs> Boy, you cannot say that. I just did. We got to mark this episode explicit. Um, all right. Uh, we've got, we've got a, a pretty long one from else, but I am going to read it out. It's a bit serendipitous that you all are talking about Call of Duty this season. As listening to the previous episodes, I was reminded of my own particular perspective on the idea of video games causing violence. Like most, I do not inherently believe that video games cause violence, but I do believe they can facilitate the reciprocation of violent ideas. Uh, maybe, yeah, I'm not sure if reciprocation is, but yeah. The reciprocation of violent ideas and rationalized violence as a normal and necessary occurrence. I have friends that know multiple people who would play games like the Metal Gear series or Call of Duty and fetishize the military aspects of it, no matter what kind of work it was, and would go on to join ROTC or the military later in life, directly influenced by their idealism. It is not particularly the game's fault, but a combination of a society in which military service is put on a pedestal without the realities of it shown as wantonly as the spectacle which games that games provide... I'm a military kid myself, and one of the main talking points any serviceman would have with kids is, so, do you play COD? They'd play it themselves in their downtime and concede how ridiculous it was, but also that games and war movies colored how they imagined their service. Games don't so much create violence or violent acts in otherwise assuming people, but they have the capacity to hype up violence or institutions that create violence through the idea that conflict is the only true driving force in storytelling, and thus... Violence becomes both a spectacle that lacks grounding and a shortcut that serves as an ideal way of solving various problems. Absolutely. I don't really have anything to add. I just think that's a very good email and observation we got. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is just that it's it is kind of like a recognition of what's going on. Yeah. That I find so interesting when like there are military things that are blatantly uh, false or unrealistic and yet the military will kind of recognize their usefulness. Yeah. You know, like we talk talk about Top Gun, which is mm -hmm. a movie about a guy who disobeys every single order given to him. It's like, that's not what you're allowed to do. You can't act like Tom Cruise. You go and to prison. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, lots of lots of people who watch Top Gun uh, then join the Air Force, which is also funny because uh, it's about the Navy. Uh, but, <laughs> but they join the Air Force because... I didn't know you know, that. it seemed cool. I've never seen Top Gun. That's so fucking funny. Yeah, they're in the Navy. Yeah, um, we talked about this before. Like, uh, you have you have a thing you said. I, I I think it was in the Manhunt episodes where it's like, I don't think video games cause violence, but I don't think that should end the conversation or something. Like you said something along mm -hmm. those lines, and I think I think else here is getting at a similar point where like. If you play a violent video game, you're not going to go shoot up people. But, like, I think there are more nuanced conversations to have other than a yes or no about video game violence, especially when it comes to military games and, you know, the pipeline we've talked to many about many times of, like, Call of Duty to joining the military, that pipeline, that whole thing, which is, like, may not be causing violence, but in some way it is, it is facilitating violence or at least the dream of violence in a noble act does that make sense yeah i mean i think it's one of the 
the conversation about do video games cause violence is such kind of an interesting, like, relic of how video games have been perceived. Because it's like, I don't think people talk about do movies cause violence as a medium. Yeah. But we are certainly aware that, like, like you know, it's, it is antisocial that, like, Birth of a Nation shows the Klan as, like, rescuing heroes or like any Nazi propaganda shows Nazis being really cool and good you know so it's like we recognize that these medias can can cause harm not because like their format inherently causes you to do something but because like stories have propagandistic power you know it's like it's not it's not the fact that you have your hands on a controller that's making this you know kind of lead you towards having certain ideals it's because, like, being told a story is really powerful. And when when you're told a story, uh, it is that is like a framing that will get stuck in your mind. And so I it's like it's a weird thing where you have to say video games don't cause violence because the people who say that are generally trying to delegitimize an entire medium of storytelling. Yeah. But like we gotta be honest with how stories work like they influence people that's what they do i also think this is this is something i've I've wrestled with for the last few years i think spurred by one of the playstation e3 press conferences and then the uh supercut president trump was shown a video yeah where i think the uh the the like uh vilification of games as a medium as these, like, you know, harbingers of violent people or whatever. I think that's bullshit, blah, blah, blah. I do think, though, and this is something I have hesitated to talk about in a public forum, but this feels like the best place I have. I do think gamers and the game industry have themselves to blame a bit for that reputation because it's kind of weird from the outside. No, it's weird from the inside, too. Yep. <laughs> to watch a PlayStation press conference with a brutal Last of Us Part Two trailer. And yeah, hear to be to be like cheering. three million people are watching this streamed and Joel is like stomping someone's head and, inside out. And hearing I, I can't remember which tra- it was the gameplay trailer at E3 for Last of Us Part Two, and they were piping in on the stream the cheers of the crowd for the most violent kills, and I'm I'm sorry, we have ourselves to blame for part of this. Like, we Uh can't stop shutting this conversation down because I think, like, this is what we as players have told the industry we want propped up is the violence, is the gore, is the, like, Mm -hmm. think about how that looks from the outside. I understand there needs to be better education about how media does or doesn't influence people and that like you can play doom and not go kill people i also think we need to recognize the things we are actively putting out into the world and being consumed and how are they they are seeing people interact with games yeah it's like you you watch you know a a god of war or a dead island or a last of us trailer and it's like you're like you're excited you you like you like yeah. that you can see the life leave their eyes. That's like an exciting feature to you. And I'm like, yeah, I guess it is. But like, I don't know. What's the more interesting thing about Last of Us Part Two: the violence or the human story? 
it's the human story. If I just want the violence, I can go play fucking Soldier of Fortune. Or I can play, like, the violence is cool and the game's fun, but you know what I mean? It's like I mean, I was gonna say, you're 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 walking into territory where, know. you know, it's like, I know you love guinea pig too. I know, and- <laughs> I know, I know. You know what, I'm if someone, but, on the other hand, if someone was like, Blake, I'm an alien, I've never seen movies, will you show me the power <laughs> and magic of films? You know what I wouldn't fucking show them? August Underground Mortem, the, like, gro- one of the grossest movies ever made. I'd show them, I'd show them any number of things. Yeah, when or it's like, when, asks, when movie trailers, you know, when, when, like, Disney is like, here are all our movies yeah. coming out. They don't show someone being, like, curb stomped exactly. in the trailer. <laughs> and so I think if, like, my grandma was like, hey, Blake, show me why video games are cool and important. I probably wouldn't show her Journey because I'm over that conversation. I don't know. Maybe I'd show her, like, uh, The Unfinished Swan or some shit, you know? Mm-hmm. like Or some micro-indie, I find, that just be like, here's this weird shit. It might not even be that good, but here's, like, a weird micro-indie thing. And then maybe then I show her a AAA thing, like the NBA 2K to just be like, and this is the higher end of what this looks like. And yet in our industry, what do we show? It is the violence and imagine how that looks and maybe reflect on why you love it so much. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a good point. Just something I think about a lot. That said, love violent video games. Shouts out to violence, friend of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to violence. Uh, Okay. Uh, You guys often talk, this comes from Daniel. You guys often talk, I think we're mostly out of the COD stuff. We're going to get to, I wanted to just talk about some games we get emails about a lot. Yeah, I mean, and I um, think this question's good just as a kind of a, a, a refresher for the pod. Daniel says, you guys often talk about what games are or aren't rotten. And I was wondering if I could get a more in-depth description of what actually makes a game rotten. I presume any rotten game would be the sort of game that would be covered on the podcast. But surely there's some quantifiers on what is and what isn't. And also, if you've... If either of you haven't played it, uh, would you consider the Evil Within series rotten? Daniel, it's on our list. Uh, hey, and also, uh, I'm a big yeah. old fan. Uh, you can you can watch my, I think my horror game music video. I just like take a break from the main <laughs> script to be like, the Evil Within 2 is so yeah, dude, good. Shouts out to Tango, friends of the show. Um, kind kind of true. Well, you uh, rotten is a <laughs> nebulous, <laughs> a friend of the show equals guys I interviewed once. Three times. Uh, It's a nebulous definition. I mean, there are definitely rotten games that we've decided to not cover because there doesn't seem like a point, like Postal and Hatred. Yeah, well, so so let's talk about, I mean, so the the phrase something rotten comes uh, for us, uh, not from Shakespeare, but from a line (laughs) in Max Payne 3. And Max Payne 3 is this kind of like prototypical you know that is that is like the the core of like hey do you want to talk about a rotten game it's max payne 3 because it is like in many ways an incredibly nihilistic game it is it is mean it is nasty it is like about its meanness and nastiness like if you're going to identify a theme of max payne 3 it would be its nihilism and its nastiness um and so that's, you know, that's kind of where we started and and then growing out to like Kane and Lynch one, which is kind of a game not about anything at all, but is mean and nasty. And then Kane and Lynch two, which is, again, about it. Um, y- you know, I think we have we have continued to expand our definition, basically, because 
there are not a lot of games like Max Payne 3 or Kane and Lynch 2, but the themes of, like, nihilism and and cruelty and kind of, like, just thoughts thoughts about violence are definitely common in, in all of these games. Yeah, and just, like, done with some hopeful, whether it does, whether it lands or not, but, like, an attempt at doing something more meaningful with that nihilism or violence is kind of also a crucial point. Like, again, that's why we're not covering hatred, right? Like, there's nothing really yeah. deeper to say about hatred. Or Postal. Mm-hmm. Maybe Postal 1, though. We'll see. I, I think about that game sometimes. But, like, that's the gen- But then next season, I think we're taking, like, our biggest departure yet. So it's, like, it's slowly expanding to find other avenues of rotten i think without spoiling one of the games for next season but that doesn't strike me as a particularly nihilistic game you know oh no not at all yeah so it's it is like you know i think the the core is that they're always going to be uh somehow about violence you know just just in its in its many forms i think you know so it's like in that i don't think the evil within is uh a like nihilistic series um but its depiction of violence just in, like, the combat, I think, is really interesting and the way that it, like, plays with horror tropes and whatever. Like, there is there is a rotten reading of The Evil Within, and so that is totally why it's on our list, as well as me really liking those yeah. games. Uh, circling back, you ever play The Unfinished Soul? Oh, yeah. Great game, man. Great game. Good game. What, uh, they, um, are they, that's the, uh, the Edith Finch studio, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think... What are they working on? Oh, Giant Sparrow? I don't know. They've, uh... I think they've just been working on porting What Remains of Edith Finch to every console. Every console saw. known to man. Um, yeah, no, nothing announced. They huh. they say a new game is in development focusing on the enchanting beauty of animal locomotion. Hell yeah, alright. It's kind of like kinda, That sounds like, uh, everything. Or that like you know? <laughs> Ubisoft um, bird game. Remember that thing? Plays a big bird no. flying around. I think it was an Ubisoft game. It wasn't Assassin's Creed. Ubisoft bird. Was it game. the VR game? Yeah, Eagle Flight. Oh, yeah. Remember that? It was a. Yeah, yeah, look, I could always use more games about the enchanting beauty of animal locomotion. Well, here's the thing, AJ. It's also in VR. You love that. I called you, you AJ. Just called me AJ. I just called you AJ. Uh, okay you're doing too many podcasts Blake uh you're Um, telling me (laughs) all right uh let's let's combine these two questions uh by by Mervin and Jess Uh, I'm sure you both saw the new viral trailer for this body cam shooter game that dropped today the game is called Unrecord uh but I wanted to draw attention to it in regards to the romanticizing realistic violence conversation it seems like it's doing a similar kind of stylized censorship to Kane and Lynch, and it's looking incredibly nasty and genuinely upsetting, whether or not it's trying to make any statement on police violence. Maybe something to keep an eye on for a bonus episode or just for a conversation about how game devs are treating realistic violence. And then Jess says, um, the most disturbing thing is that is that everyone is losing it over the graphics. To be fair, lots of people thought it was fake because it looks so real. But nobody is talking about the unsettling political nature of the game. The insane graphics actually amplify this issue, as they make it look nearly indistinguishable from real body cam footage of cops shooting people or live leak. 
The developer said that this game wasn't based off an event. Of course it wasn't. It is based off of hundreds of events and how we've been indoctrinated to think of cops as action heroes. This reminds me of the guy who worked on Modern Warfare and claimed it was apolitical because it wasn't about a specific historical conflict. <laughs> game Anyhow, video right there. <laughs> that's right. Anyhow, very much seems like a rotten game, even if it isn't out yet, although it will probably go against the something rotten tradition of having a level where you kill tons of cops. Yeah, I've, uh, we, we, we got, I think, a few more questions and comments about this one on twitter uh, people i mean believe me when this trailer dropped yeah blake and i were messaging each messaging each other within like seconds being like look I, at this thing i divorcing it from you know what we're about to talk about it's themes uh i do really love the art style of this game it's so uh sh not shocking it's just like it, it just has its own thing it's doing that's yeah well so i mean interesting What's interesting is, like, it is, you know, there are so many ways a video game can have art style, and yeah. usually what we see that in is just uh, how the environment is drawn. Yeah. And this, like Kanan Lynch 2, is, like, the art style comes from the camera, which is really neat and unusual. And so I think that's, that is partially why it captured so many people's imaginations, is it yeah. looks different than other games. And, like, we'll see if we cover it i have my doubts that this game will be any good or may, maybe even come out you know how these things tend to go when you see a crazy trailer like this but like i think my biggest hesitation and probably could have seen this a mile away is the developer saying the same fucking thing all these developers say or it's like you know do it what am i trying to say is it like is it worth it to take them at their word that like this game's saying nothing interesting well in that case okay i don't know if i'm really well, it's no, like, if say, they're saying, saying that it's political. saying nothing interesting, yeah. then it's like, what they're saying is, this game is enforcing the status quo. You yeah. know, it's like, we we just, we think this is good. Yeah, and I think, you know. To that end, not worth our time to think about, you know, mm -hmm. like, the, if there is something more interesting there, if they're just saying it to not get this bad publicity they think they might have get by saying, I have a message in this game, then maybe it's worth playing, but like. I don't know until the game's out. Yeah, it's, you know, like, I mean, we we can certainly find, it's like the, the Call of Duty developers, uh, either intentionally or not, lie about their games being unpolitical. And so, like, you know, I think the game will have things to say, whether the developer means them or not. Right. Um, I, you know, it certainly seems like an opportunity to be really interesting i think unfortunately we're, we're basing this off of one trailer which is like 30 seconds of gameplay footage so you know we're we're talking out our ass here but like i my guess is that what people are going to come out of that thinking is like oh my gosh the job of being a cop is so hard and scary uh which i just even i am not saying that cops do not run into situations that are hard and scary but i uh don't think it's a particularly productive uh viewpoint politically it's like hey you know what's also scary being stopped on the side of the road for no good reason and getting shot you know it's like it's harder and scarier when you are not the person who's legally allowed to kill people so i we'll see uh rest assured we're both really interested in like what's gonna happen with that game and i think it's you know, it's it's wild just how much traction it got based on its aesthetics. Yeah. Um, but 
Who knows? Um, all right. This is from John. Uh, Dear Blake and Jacob, Blake's pronunciation is correct. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. <laughs> that's our last Love one. Love to hear it. That's our last one. Uh, this comes from Blair. Th- that's our last Rayman question. We've got a few more normal questions. This comes from Blair. Uh, who is on my team in the Let's Do Last of Us Part 2 <laughs> camp. I just want to write in that The Last of Us Part 2 would be an incredible topic for the show, in my opinion, but also understand the concerns about having to go back to the first game and the difficulty of saying new things about it at this point. So I'd like to throw this idea in the ring. What if you did a season with like three or four episodes where you just do a game per episode and just cover it generally rather than a deep dive over multiple episodes or maybe just some one shot episodes like that between seasons would work kind of like something rotten as opposed slightly no, rotten slightly as opposed rotten. to a full season of something rotten. And unfortunately, listeners, this won't play for you all. But Blair says also attached is a picture of my dog. Bella is a thank you for the work you both put into. I saw the picture of Bella. It was very sweet. I will uh, send it to you, Jacob, as well. Yeah, boy, can you put that in the chat? I'm yeah, missing out here. Absolutely. Um, I I don't know about the second half of this question, like how to divvy it up, but like I really want to do Last of Us Part Two, both because I want to replay that game because I just like mm-hmm. that game a lot. I also think like a lot of people are asking about it, and I think it's a good one at this. point. For the show, I, look, I, I agree that it's a good one, and and I will. I mean, I think one of the problems with it is, you know, kind of in contrast to uh, to what Blair said, uh, the game is so long that it would need to be probably three episodes, uh, you know, just just on its own, we which do is four fine. Episodes, um, I, <laughs> we we could. I am I am uh, going to be soon moving in uh with my partner who uh watched the last of us tv show with me and then is really interested in what happens in last of us 2 and so when we're living together i think i will be more interested in like playing through that game because then uh she'll get to watch it as well oh that is a good dog thank you blair (laughs) um you know i so like i I agree that it would be an interesting game to do. I also haven't played it since release. Um and and I don't think we need to do Last of Us 1. It's I don't just either. it's just a big it's a big undertaking, you know. I I would want to do it right, hey. but it's look, as as we say with everything, it's on the list and I think Blake has like bolded and underlined it. And here's the way to get us to do it way quicker. Go to nebula.tv slash sunrise and send us money. The more money we get, the longer games we can consider playing around our other that jobs. Is, that is true. Um, yeah, I also like, I don't know, I haven't revisited the discourse or seen a ton of writing that maybe has come out in the ensuing years. But I do remember really hating a lot of the critical conversation around the violence in The Last of Us Part Two and thinking... It was very dismissive of some more interesting ideas. I didn't yeah, agree the- with I didn't agree with the idea that the game was solely and sorry, no shade to anyone that wrote this, you're entitled to think what you think, but I didn't agree that the game was just saying violence bad, player bad for do violence. Like I thought yeah. that was very reductive of what the game was doing. Yeah, I mean and that is it is that weird thing where I think the the marketing and what you were talking about earlier with like how the game was presented pre-release is partially to blame about that oh, sure. because they kept talking about like 
oh my gosh, every enemy is named, and when they're dying, they'll yell out their friend's name, and like, you know, when they, when you kill the dog, they're gonna go to the dog, and here's what our, like, gore system does, and so, like, without the context of the story, it just felt like it was a game about horribly killing people, and, and even, you know, even after playing it, I think it's hard to shake that sort of concept of what the game is and so now many years later i think we may be able to approach it uh without kind of that that like prevailing idea of what the game was telling us it was yeah um kenneth shepherd who works over at kotaku co-host of mm-hmm. normandy fm last of us fan number one uh he has said and written a lot about the dissonance between Naughty Dog's marketing of the Last of Us series and the actual games themselves. I recommend Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, I recommend seeking that out cuz Ken, Ken, friend of the show, one of best friends of me, um can't recommend his work enough. Also, cover the Last of Us part 2. I can talk about one of the best movies of all time, Jacob, Lady Vengeance. Hell yeah. Ah. Oh. Anyway, last question. Let's do it. All right. It has been said on the podcast that eventually the definition of rotten games will need to expand so that the series can continue after you run out of nihilistic first-person shooters. Hey, stay stay tuned for our next season. Would you consider... I think first-person shooters are the minority. No, I know. It just feels like... (laughs) It feels like they're the majority. Uh, Would you consider the first Watch Dogs a rotten game? I've spent more time than I care to admit thinking about that game and its story, and I'm curious as to your thoughts from Phoenix Coffee. This is a great timed question because for truly no reason in particular other than I just wanted a video to watch, I just watched uh, Noah Gervais' retrospective on the whole Watch Dogs series in which he spends a long time talking about how kind of like shitty and mean the politics of the original watchdogs is yeah um you know and it it totally falls into the not intentionally a rotten game but i think if you're talking about the politics uh they're there i think the problem is probably that because it's an open world Mm -hmm. ubisoft game there's just so much like bullshit between the interesting parts that it might be hard to actually do as like a series yeah uh there's there's a lot of games that would be great for something rotten that uh are immediately hindered by them being open world games like we should have played mafia 3 like season 2 but you know it is what it is yeah hey Uh, and maybe maybe we still will because i think mafia 3 is denser with its like critique yeah Uh, whereas watchdogs is like hey, now you're in a spooky Halloween world. Shoot this laser gun at things. And it's like, what the fuck is this? Well, that's not really the first one, is it? Oh, no, it is. But it's all okay. it's all the, like, DLC. Because oh. they added, like, if you buy it now, there's, like, the Ultimate Edition. And the yeah. Ultimate Edition is just, like, they're zombies. I'm a, I'm a Watch Dogs defender, I think, in the long run. But I have not revisited the first game, and I am curious about it. My, uh, I mean, my friend, my friend Tails, who who uh, mods the the Jacob Discord server, uh, is a huge Watchdogs two defender, yeah. um, and I think specifically uh, talks about how good the multiplayer was in that. Um, and then, uh, of course, we know Leo Vader had had uh, big dreams for uh, Watchdogs Legion. Legion. Is that the third one? Yeah. Uh, you know, of being kind of an immersive sim. And I think was maybe a little underwhelmed, but was still excited about I, it. I remember we did a Game Query episode about Watch Dogs Legion, and our takeaway was this feels like the prototype 
for one of the coolest games ever made. So who knows? If they keep going down that path with Watch Dogs 4, that could be a really great game, um, which has nothing to do with Sunday Run. But I don't know. Maybe we'll do Watch Dogs. I'll put it on the list just to have it there for safekeeping. Consider it done. I'll do it on mic. You, now that you know it happened, you can hear it. I won't even cut out the typing like I usually do, Jacob. Watch. Okay, you should you dogs. should add like typewriter sounds. Add like a ding. <laughs> ding. There you go. Um oh, and Reagan has joined. Uh that's that's all our questions uh for today. Thank you all so much for writing in. We didn't even have to like tweet to get like more questions. Uh yeah. and I I like the emails because they're generally uh longer and more thoughtful than like <laughs> you know whatever people are yelling at me to do in tweets yeah um, um i if you want to hear what we're doing next season we're not going to tell you here sorry about your fucking luck but go to uh, nebula.tv slash something rotten give us a little money baby yeah our our bonus episode also like bonus episode for this season is good yeah i think and at the very end we say what our next season is and folks it's gonna be a good one i know it because we're halfway done recording it already so i know it's good yeah <laughs> But also, this one was a good one. Absolutely. Call of Duty. We'll revisit it, I'm sure. The Black Ops, yeah. you think? I'll play the fucking Ghosts, the one that everyone hates. Oh, I wonder. I feel like someone DM'd me about Ghosts not too long ago, but I can't remember what they said. And I can never keep track. It's like, is Black Ops 3 the weird one that yeah. people don't like? And then there's, like, Infinite Warfare that... I think yeah. does have a good campaign. Anyway, well, there's there's plenty of COD to go around. Call of Duty Ghosts, historically important for at least one reason. The What's last that? game that Neversoft ever worked on. Before wow. being shut down and kind of dissolved into a few other studios, such as uh, <laughs> Infinity Rest in Power World. Neversoft. Yeah, there was a weird thing. So I, I used to report on Neversoft a lot, not when they were an active company, but doing like retrospective pieces. And for a while, at, I guess it was Infinity Ward. Uh, they would call the zombies team a mini Neversoft because so many of them ended up there, which I thought was pretty fun. I'm sure that's not entirely the case anymore, but nevertheless. It is. Anywho. It is interesting. You know, people people ask us about zombies, which we talked about a little in the World at War episodes, but like, it is, man, it's so crazy that that just, turned into what it did which is like yeah. jeff goldblum stars in like a whole alternate campaign where you're oh, fighting yeah. zombies oh yeah shouts out to jeff goldblum friend of the show i think i think it's just like damn they had too much money it's like, like <laughs> what, what stupid thing can we spend it on now i mean yeah but on the other hand zombies so good hey, can't can't argue with that just in general the concept of zombies 28 days later love that shit we should play days gone next um <laughs> you ever played days gone miserable fucking no. game all right let's let's all wrap right. it up i gotta go to work yeah bye everyone thanks for listening i'm jacob geller uh for blake hester uh call of duty think about it next time you hear that phrase stay frosty bye.